Lord, you are good. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we look at life and in honest moments we treat other things better than you, even your good gifts that you give us better than the giver of all good things. So help our hearts this morning as we open your word, be reminded of your goodness and your grace that you've shown us through your son Jesus, and let that grace in our lives overflow to those around us, overflow to our hearts in the same way that Jesus has generously served us that we might turn around out of the overflow of that truth, be willing to serve Christ and serve his people and look at our broken world and labor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever audited or wanted to audit a class? I spent a lot of time uh, pursuing degrees, and so it's always been a desire to take a class and just show up or not show up. And just be there and learn and glean information without the responsibility or hard work of turning in assignments or the pressure of completing a degree plan. You ever been there? Ever just wanted to show up and listen and learn? Auditing can be a great thing, the pro of it. Describes the pros of it and maybe it's even used to figure out what you want to do. But there's also some cons because you got nothing to show for auditing a class, no degree And you pay some money to do that. When I was in college, um, and I came, I grew up in the church. And um, I I went to college, and I began to have more questions. Wasn't a believer growing up. I had lots of questions. And then I met a number of believers in college along the journey, along the road. And they were intriguing to me because they lived in, in a way that I desired to live. And they began to introduce me reintroduced me to Jesus, and I began to come to church. And so I I really wasn't auditing at that point. I was just kind of sitting in. And sitting in is a good thing. Sitting in is a great thing to learn and to figure out what you believe. But ended up coming to faith in Jesus my third year in college. It took me five, so I say third. Um, Ha ha, not funny. Okay. Third year of college and came to faith in Christ. But I'll be honest with you, for the first year, I audited I was a believer in Jesus, but I kind of showed up, and I showed up to a lot of Bible studies, and I gleaned a lot of information, and I was kind of this consumer, and and some of that was good because I needed to learn and grow and understand God's Word, but I really wasn't that involved. I wasn't that involved in my church. I wasn't involved in serving anywhere, and then a couple of buddies who were believers as well encouraged me. He's like, hey, you need to come on uh, Wednesday night. We had a campus thing um, called... Access, I can't even remember what it was called, it's been so long. Uh, access, and you're like, hey, you need to come serve on road crew. So sorry, road crew. I have been on road crew before. I'm not on road crew right now, but I've been on road crew. And I'm like, I really reluctantly did it because I was, I was cool with auditing. And I showed up and set up speakers and rolled cables um, and, and did that. And what I figured out was, hey, there's more to the show than this. Like, it, it takes work for this thing to go. And I began to enjoy began to enjoy serving other people and serving in God's family. And then I remember signing up for a mission trip and go, I don't know about this. I, I, I kind of like auditing and serving and 
began to, to serve in the church. And, and really what it did, it created a joy as a believer in Jesus for me to serve in the same way that Jesus had sacrificially served me. And I think for much of that, that caught on so much that I said, hey, I want to spend the rest of my life doing this for the joy of serving. Let me ask you a question. Are you sitting in? Maybe you're here this morning and you're sitting in and you're trying to learn about Jesus and I would encourage you to continue to do that. But maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you've committed your life to Jesus, but functionally speaking, somewhere along the way, you've just decided, I'm just going to come on it. I'm just going to show up and learn and consume and not be a part of the road and the journey of Christian service. Have you experienced the joy of this road of service. This morning, we're going to talk about generous service. We've started a series a few weeks ago on generosity. We often, when we think about generosity, when we show up to church, we think about money, but generosity is way more than money. There are a lot of currencies that generosity takes beyond money, and generosity starts with God himself because he's been generously, generous, lavishly generous to us. As the owner of all things, as the creator of all things, he's been generous to you and generous to me that he shares and we get to steward what is his. And so God is a generous God. And we've also looked at generous relationships. We've looked last week at generous hospitality and giving and in the sense that we should open our lives to others. And so this morning, generous service. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, and we'll go all the way to chapter 10, verse 2 this morning, page 868. If you've got a Bible in front of you, words will be up here. Uh, Luke 9, 51 right there starts really the third section of the book of Luke. We're kind of just coming into this text. I want to give you a little bit of background as you turn there. The third section of Luke, Jesus has been in Galilee, that's northern Israel, and he's coming to Jerusalem. He's on the road to the cross. And what we're going to see today as just a little bit of preview, I want to show you how Jesus paves the road for us for generous service himself. And then I want to show you both the demands of following along this road of generous service as well as the direction that this road takes us. So let me read the first six or seven verses there in Luke 9 verse 51 through 56, and then we'll just work through this text together. Generous service. Verse 51. He's been in Galilee, and then the text says this, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, meaning the ascension, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross. And he sent messengers, his disciples ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans, to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell the fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Friendly fellows. But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. The first thought this morning is this, the road of generous service is paved by the generous grace of Jesus. The road of generous service that we want to be on is paved by the generous grace of Jesus. Look back at 
the text. He's in Galilee, as I said, and he's coming down to Jerusalem. What's between Galilee and Jerusalem? He's got to come through or around Samaria. And so these disciples go ahead of him and try to prepare a place in Samaria for them to stay. Samaritans aren't having it. If you remember in biblical days, um, the Samaritans are like half Jews. So the Jews don't like the Samaritans because they have intermarried with Gentiles and they have also, they worship Yahweh, but they mix in the syncretism. They mix in all these pagan rituals to their worship. And these folks worship not in Jerusalem, but about Gerizim. And so there is heavy tension, as many of you know, between Samaritans and Jews. There's an ethnic tension between them. And so when the disciples come and they let them know that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, they're like, there's no room in the inn. There's no room here because you're going to Jerusalem. That's the tension here. And so you see, these disciples aren't real happy about it. Anybody know the nickname for John and James here? What are they, how did Jesus nickname them? The Sons of Thunder. This is before Marvel's Thor. Man, they want to bring the thunder. They want to bring the fire on these lowly Samaritans. These half-breed Samaritans that don't worship. See, the Samaritans didn't like that they were going to go worship in Jerusalem. They needed to go worship at Mount Gerizim, which was false worship to the Jew. And so they don't show them hospitality, which is a big fat deal in that day. You know this history. And here's the thing. It's interesting where you see, why would they say something like that? Like, bring down fire on the Samaritans. If you know your Bible, you know, if you turn to 2 Kings chapter 1, you see Elijah. You see, Cain, you see a king of the northern, the king of the northern tribe of Israel was living in Samaria. And he got sick and he fell through. And instead of praying to God, he prays to this foreign God. And an angel comes to Elijah in that day and says to him, the king of the northern tribe of Israel, we know he's wicked, but he's praying to a false god. And you need to go meet his messengers and tell them that's a problem. That's what prophets did. And so he met the messengers of this king and he told them, what's going on? Why are you praying to a false God. And those messengers go back to the king. And the king goes, I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Elijah. They've already, they've already gone to blows before. And so the king sends 50 soldiers to go arrest Elijah. And you see the picture. Elijah's sitting on the hill. And here comes these soldiers toward him. And they're saying, come with us. You need to come see the king. And Elijah says to God, if I'm a man of God, Will you not bring fire on these men? And God does. And they send another 50 men. And the same thing happens. And like you and me, the third guy that comes says, hey, don't do the fire thing. So here's the deal. James and John know their history. Jesus probably between the lines said, oh, you are very astute. You, you know the history of Israel and where we brought fire on the people in Samaria. And you want to apply that here and what does the text say? It says that Jesus approved. No, it says Jesus rebuked them. In this text, you're not given a full explanation of why Jesus rebuked them, and then they just went on to the next city. You don't see that 
But the, the answer is really clear. What's the mission of Jesus? Why is he here? Jesus had already told them over and over things like this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I didn't come to save the people who are right. I came to save the sick. I came to save the tax collector and the adulterer and the people who need a doctor. And later he's going to do this. The disciples are going to follow him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're still thinking, he's still the king. He's going to have an earthly reign. And Judas and the soldiers come. And good old Peter chops off the ear of the soldiers. And do you remember Jesus' response? What Jesus did? He healed that soldier. And then he turns to Peter. And he says, do you not think that I can bring down an angel of armies and wipe these guys out if I wanted to? No, my, I'm set on the cross. This has to happen. Jesus says it this way in, in Mark 10. Let me give you another example. Mark 10, the same guys, the sons of thunder, in about verse 35 to 45, the sons of thunder, James and John, come to Jesus on the side, and the, disciples, the rest of the disciples are over here, and they're like, hey, uh, can we get a place in your kingdom? Like a special place in your kingdom? We want a special position. And Jesus says, it's not mine to give. The rest of the disciples, you see these guys. Guys do drama too, y'all. The rest of these guys find out about it and they're all upset about it. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? He's like, look, here's how position works in my kingdom. It didn't work like that. We don't lord over positions of the Gentile like the Gentiles do. And then what does Jesus say about himself? We've got it here. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So catch this. Jesus did not set his face to the cross to bring fire, to bring wrath upon false worshipers, sinners, the self-righteous. He did not come to bring wrath. Wrath would be coming later. Here's what he did. And if you don't hear anything else I say today about this truth and about what flows out of this truth, hear this. He came not to bring fire and judgment and wrath. He came to take the wrath of God and the fire upon himself. That's why he set his heart and set his face, determined face, to the cross. That was his mission, is to take wrath, not bring it. Do you know that truth? That beautiful, awful truth. That's the truth that allows you to have relationship with God because left to yourself, left to myself, we are, we're destined for the fire. Because God demands a right payment for sin. He's going to bring wrath. But Jesus takes our place. Do you know that truth? Is that a foreign idea to you? See, here's the thing. Jesus generously served you and me with his generous grace. You familiar with the Christian, the classic Christian allegory book, Pilgrim's Progress? I hope so. I'm going to use it a few times. Pilgrim's Progress is this John Bunyan's classic allegory describing the Christian life. And there's a journey. There's a road. Christian, the guy's name, 
the primary character, was living in the city of destruction. He's living there and he reads that he has a weight, the weight of sin on him in the city of destruction. And in the book, there's a literal weight that comes upon him, that he has this burden and weight that he cannot get off of himself. And you see, as the book progresses and Christian progresses, even in the city of destruction, that he's weighed down with the struggles that he couldn't fix himself, he reads that there's a way to the celestial city, heaven. And he meets evangelists. An evangelist tells him the way. And he goes outside the, the narrow gate, the small gate, and he meets the interpreter. He's told to go to the interpreter's house, and the interpreter teaches him more about the way to the celestial city. And then he comes to the hill of the cross and the tomb. And he kneels there, and this massive weight is rolled off his back into the tomb. What a picture, right? And he gets back on the road, traveling light without the weight of sin and the burden of sin. See, Jesus serves you and me. He takes our burdens upon himself, and he puts us on a path to follow him and serve him, a path that you can't pull off on your own. I can't pull off on my own. Only through the generous grace of Jesus can we do that. There's also another just side lesson here, I think, as we think about James and John. We're often like James and John, aren't we? We want to bring fire, right? We want to bring fire upon people who are false worshipers, who don't get it right, who live in a different way that we do. We want to do that in our culture all the time. And we look around and we see people's sin and their lifestyles, and we want to bring fire. We want to do that on social media. Maybe the emoji, I don't know. We want to do that. And, and interestingly, in our culture, when you read about tragic events, awful events that happen in our world, oftentimes our world blames it on the fundamentalist, right? I mean, the fundamentalist is the one who brings violence. We live in a world that, that does that, but the question in that is this, what kind of fundamentalism? Who's your leader there are plenty of fundamentalists in our world who do bring violence. But is that the way of Jesus? Did Jesus bring fire or did he bring peace? Because he took the wrath of God for you and me. No, Christian friend. We don't bring down the fire. There will be a judgment in the end, but it's not our role. Our role is to Point people to Jesus that he might take the wrath of God off of them in the same way he's done it for you. We weren't that smart. We weren't that good that it just landed on us. Titus says we once were too the same way before God. So the road of generous service is paved by the generous grace of Jesus. But two things flow out of that. Look at the text here. The first one is, is the cost of discipleship. Look at it in verse 57 through 62 in chapter 9. 
as they were going along the road, someone said to them, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You sure you want that? To another, he said, follow me. These are hard sayings here. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God, life. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here's your second thought for today. The road of generous service paved by God's grace demands personal sacrifice. It demands sacrifice. See, following Jesus isn't a part-time gig. He's Lord. He's Master. It's not just showing up to Sunday school or Sunday morning. We don't have Sunday school. I don't know what's going on. Sunday morning, community group. Man, it's, it's everything. If Jesus is really Lord, he's Lord of all is the implication. And he gives three examples. Look at them a little more pointedly. Three examples of sacrifice and priority. The first one's interesting because someone comes to him. The other one, two, are about family. So, so let me walk through those and, and, and talk about the three different things here. I will... I will follow you wherever you go. This is the zealous person who wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, the birds have air. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What is Jesus trying to say? Is Jesus bringing this low bar said, hey, that's great. You want to follow me? It's really easy. I'll just make it really palatable for you. No, he's like, you sure you want this? I don't have anywhere to lay my head. He didn't have a home. Not only is he speaking physically, he's also speaking This world is not our home. It's not my home. It's not a disciple's home. And there's going to be hardship in following me. You catch that? There's going to be hardship here as he follows. Listen, if if our view of following Jesus is mixed drinks on the beach, perfect health, millions of dollars in our bank account, no problems in life, this beautiful road paved so pretty, Jesus is saying right here, this is not the gig. And there's a lot of places you can go in Scripture and understand that there's, there's no gospel in the prosperity gospel that you see on television or out and about. But if you really want a text, you can look at this one. Because Jesus apparently, according to the prosperity gospel, didn't have enough faith to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And we all, I think most of us anyway, would agree with that statement Although there are blessings that come with following Jesus, we could all agree. They're just spiritual blessings, but Jesus doesn't promise us that. He didn't have it himself. You know, we all can say amen to that. I would. But here's the thing. Do we not sometimes, when hardship comes, we're like, Lord, I didn't sign up for a lack of comfort. I didn't sign up for insecurity. No, sometimes we believe, we may not say we believe a prosperity gospel, we believe the gospel of comfort and security. And Jesus is blowing that deal out of the water as well, isn't he? This is a hard road. Look at it. Keep looking. Hardship. There's there's also another person on this road, the second person on this road. He says, hey, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
That sounds like a, a reasonable request to me, does it not you? Here's the thing. This guy's dad is probably not dead. In that culture, there were rites and rituals if the, if the guy had already died. So it's probably he's old in age and he may be dying soon. So he's saying, let me take care of my family responsibility. My dad's not dead yet, but he's probably going to die and sometime in the near future. So let me go be with my family. Does that not sound somewhat reasonable to us? See, Jesus in this example and the next one is going to use family, which is one of the highest callings. I mean, is Jesus denying the fifth commandment here to honor your father and mother? No. He's setting it against the the highest priority and following him. That's what he's doing. He's not saying don't love your family, don't take care of your family. Jesus is just setting against, especially in that culture, the idea of honoring your father and mother, loving your family, taking care of your family. That's a good and right thing. But even then, there is a higher priority that Jesus has. And Jesus responds, leave the dead to bury their own dead. That's a hard, what does he mean? Like dead people don't bury dead people. He's talking about spiritually. What's more important for spiritually dead people to bury dead people or for you to go proclaim the kingdom which brings life to dead people? That's his implication. So there is an urgency as opposed to a putting off. Can I translate that a little bit for us today? It's kind of like the thought that I had, particularly when I was a kid. I'll follow Jesus a little bit later. Kids, identify with that? You know, my mom and dad do that, but I'll follow Jesus more later. Right now, I'm just going to have fun and live my life. The problem is we continue to do that through life. We do that in college. We do that when we're young adults. So I'm just going to go work really hard, and then I'll get serious about Jesus. I'm going to have a family. That's usually a time we're like, hey, we've got to come back to church. We've got to raise our kids in a moral way. That's good. That's okay. But we just say, we just keep putting it off. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is a top priority in our lives always. And I'm Lord, there's an urgency. We shouldn't be a people who put off. These are hard. And last, there's one more, and it's related to family as well, and it's probably even harder. Look at it. I will follow you, Lord, but let let me first, okay, there's a condition again, there's a condition. Let me first say farewell to those in my home. Reasonable? Hey, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to go say, I'm going to go say bye. And even there's biblical precedent for that. We were talking about Elijah. Who came after Elijah? Elisha. Elijah went to, this is tough, Elisha, and called him to follow and be the next prophet. But God allowed him to go back to his family and say farewell. But Jesus does something different here. He's like, no, no, no. And again, it's, a, it's an extreme example on purpose to stress the priority of the gospel kingdom. Jesus said to him, look at this picture. Think about this picture. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're, if you're a farmer in Israel, what kind of soil do you have? Is it nice like soft, loamy soil that you plant things in? What kind of soil is in Israel? Rocky soil. So if you've spent money on a plow and you're driving your John Deere or whatever they had then, tractor, horse, and you're driving that plow, you've got to look for rocks. You've got to look ahead. You can't look back. You've got to look ahead at rocks because one of those big rocks, if the plow hits it, it's broken. And they're incredibly expensive plows. 
for them to use back then. So you look forward. There's another thing here, though, I think. When you look back, what happens to what's happening ahead of you? I mean, moms, think about it. In the car when your little kid is going, hey, mom, look at the picture I drew. And, and, and they want your attention in the car. What do you say to them? Sweetie, I love to, I, I'll, I'll look at your picture later, but I don't want to go off the road to look back and give you my attention right now. See, if, if you're going to plow a field and you look back, it's not going to be a straight line. It's going to be a curvy line. So looking back, I just want to talk for a minute about looking back. See, sometimes in, as we live this Christian life and desire to serve God and to be committed to Him and count the cost of discipleship, we have a tendency, and it's a human tendency, to look back. We have a tendency to look back perhaps on hurts in our past. Maybe it's the family that you grew up in and there were hurts. Maybe even in the church there are hurts and we're so busy trying to process those that it's hard to look ahead Jesus, and those are real things that we have to deal with, but Jesus wants us to look at him. And maybe you have hurts from family. Maybe you have previous church hurts. You're like, I'm not going to ever serve and get really involved again because I got hurt. And you're looking back. And maybe you have something else in the past. Maybe, maybe you have really positive experiences. They're 25 years old without kids, and you're like, man, I used to spend like 20 hours a week hanging out with other believers that were in the same life phase as me, and now you're 35 and you have kids. You're like, I can't do that anymore. There must be something wrong with my church or other people. You're just in a different season of life. Maybe you look back at your spiritual life in the past and go, man, I was really growing and sensing God's presence. I was in the Word seven days, in a, seven times in a day. And I was sharing my faith, and I'm not there now. Man, we can't get stuck in our past. We can look to our past and learn from our past. But man, we don't want that plow to look like this. We want to look forward. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus. And listen, He's with us. He can handle the junk in our past in our rearview mirror. And He can heal that and work through that, whether it's personal life, whether it's church, whether it's thinking about the glories of the past, even spiritually. And God can meet you. Jesus can meet you where you're at, that you might set his, your gaze on him. Do you believe that? That's a struggle. That's a struggle, for you. That's a struggle for me, to not look back and go, man, there's so many hurts. I'm going to keep doing this and come to service and sing songs and talk about praising Jesus. Sometimes I think about those hurts, but I know that God has me. Oh, that Jesus has got me, that his spirit comforts me. And so listen, there's generous grace of Jesus. It overflows into joyful service, and that's the thing. Maybe you look at this and you go, man, that doesn't sound joyful at all, pastor. That sounds like a lot of duty and demand. Think about the Pilgrim's Progress. Most of that book, after Christian leaves, right? He leaves the hill of the cross and the tomb and the burden is lifted, but think about the path. Most of the book is the path into the celestial city. And what does that path look like? I mean, is that path just paved with gold gold and really short? Is it, you know, the, the warm scented towel along the way and the lemonade stand? It's not. It's ebb and flow up and down. He goes to the hill of difficulty. 
And then he finds rest after that difficulty and house beautiful. And then he goes to the valley of humiliation. And then the valley of the shadow of death. This is part of the road. And then he goes to the town of vanity. And yet there he meets someone named Hopeful to encourage him. And then he finally gets to the celestial city. Listen, there's personal sacrifice, but God is there all the way. And you may look at that and go, that sounds miserable, pastor. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for hurt and pain. I signed up for ease. Man, there's joy in that journey if you've been on it. I don't know about you. I, uh, the older I get, I need to work out more. I don't, I don't particularly like it. I need to eat better. I need to eat salad. I hate salad. I need to eat more salad. But here's the thing about working out. It, it's painful. I mean, literally ripping muscle fibers in your body. It's painful. Your heartbeat gets up really high. So there's, there's challenge in it. It's painful. But how do you feel after? After you've worked out, you feel great. Your body thanks you. Well, maybe it hurts for a little while. But then it thanks you. And you're healthy. Listen, the road and the journey of the Christian life has its ups and downs And it's painful sometimes. And there are valleys and there are peaks. But there is joy in the journey. There's joy for us waiting. That's how God has built us. We'll get to that in a bit. He's built us that way. And when we're sitting on the couch and fat, there's not much joy in that. But this is the way God has built it, that his generous grace overflows into generous service that is surely hard sometimes as it relates to serving in a church and caring for other people. And just the road of discipleship is hard, but it's worth it. There's a joy in serving. But there's one more thing in the first two verses of chapter 10. Look at it with me. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him. So they're in Samaria, or they're going further down, two by two, not alone, two by two in pairs, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into the harvest. Listen, the road of generous service paved by Jesus' grace is about personal sacrifice But here's the other thing this road winds to. It sends us out to labor for lost people. I don't know how you think about Christian service or ministry. Maybe you think about the hospitality team, road crew, serving one another. And that's right and good. That you care for one another inside the church. But here's the thing. Christian service is labor for the lost as well. It's labor for those who don't yet know Jesus. Look at it. So Jesus has already sent out 12. He's already sent out his 12 disciples, and now he's sending out 70 or 72. Here it says 72. Some of your translations say 70. And here's the idea of 70 or 72. In Genesis 10, we see that many nations 
that are a part of the earth. In Genesis chapter 12, what do you see Abraham. And you see him called to bless the nations. Through his family, the nations will be blessed. And think about being Abraham just for a minute. Hey, you're in this land. I want you to go to this other land. I want you to follow me. Where are we going, God? I'm not going to tell you yet, but I want you to be with me. And I want you to go here eventually. See, the, the call for Abraham was to bless the nations of the earth through his seed. Ultimately, that's Christ. And so the number 70 or 72, either way, it, it, it's a completeness. It's all. And so the idea is that he's, Jesus is sending out these 70 to reach everyone, to reach the world, to tell them the truth of the gospel. And he sends them out not alone. He sends them out two by two to every place he was going to go. And he says this, listen, it's ripe. It's an agrarian society. They understand harvest. They understand all the work that goes into harvest. But when harvest comes, what do you need? You need all the laborers that you can get to come harvest the crops. And he's saying, listen, there's gospel fruit that is coming. But what's the problem in this text? The problem is laborers, those will go and bear fruit. See, service is not just inside the church. Service is labor for the gospel outside the church. You see this idea of harvest in all kinds of places in the New Testament and old. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. That we need to be a people ministering, sent out, that we're sent on God's mission to reach people around us with the gospel. And if you think last time, promise, Pilgrim's Progress, the last thing I want to say about it. Do you remember who Christian met on the path? He met a number of people on the path, but he met Hopeful, the person Hopeful, and met Hopeful in the city of vanity. And Hopeful realized the vanity of his ways. And what did he do? He got on the road, the journey to the celestial city. And he went with Christian to encourage them. And there's something else, if you get to the end of the first section of the book, uh, you, you see that Christian, they've made it to the celestial city. And yet, what is he doing? He's thinking back to his wife and his children. See, at the beginning of the book, he learns about the way to the celestial city to offload the burden at the hill of the cross. And he tells his wife, Christiana, and their kids, and they refuse to come with him because they think he's crazy. And yet he remembers them. And word is sent to the city of destruction to her. And she decides to get on the path. And she takes the journey. And she comes to the celestial city with her children and brings others as well. You see, the road of generous service paved by the grace of Jesus sends us out to labor for the lost. Are you laboring for the lost people around you? Are you laboring first, as this text says, in prayer for more laborers to be sent? And are you laboring for lost people? You know, we live in a polarizing world, don't we? We're told all around us how disgusted that we should be with certain types of people. We end up oftentimes being so busy condemning and ranting at people who need Jesus rather than our fire. That's what they need. They're not going to change without the mercy and grace of Jesus. You catch that? 
We're so busy protecting our own securities for our children, for our family, for our county, for our world. And I'm saying those aren't valuable things. They're just secondary things. We're so busy trying to maintain our own security and our own comfort that we forget the people that we're trying to bring fire down are the people that need Jesus the most. Are you laboring for the lost in this world? See, we'll never really give ourselves to others until we give ourselves to Jesus. So, are you sitting in? You sitting in on the Christian class? Keep sitting in. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep asking questions. We're a place that welcomes you. We're a place that wants to help you know Jesus and who he is and what he's done. You keep coming. But maybe you're a follower of Jesus here today And functionally speaking, you're just auditing. Question is, are you on the road to generous service? Are you taking the dead-end scenic route detour to security and comfort? See, the, the road of discipleship has its ups and downs, its twists and turns. It has its joys and its pain, but that adventure, y'all, is worth it. Have you caught that yet? Sometimes you have to experience that rather than auditing that. You have to experience that before you really realize how joyous the Christian life is of serving and giving yourself away. Isn't that how Jesus said it? Take up your cross and follow me. It's a great adventure. It is not drudgery or pain or just sacrifice. It is joy. Do you know that joy? Take the first step. Your takeaway today is this, generous grace overflows into generous service. You've got to give yourself away to Jesus before you can experience that. I want to close with this verse. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you know Ephesians 2, you you know what Paul's done in the few verses ahead of this. He said that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's not much hope. Dead, you got no ability. But he's made us alive with Christ because of what Christ has done. And then verse 8, which you may know, maybe you've memorized. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. That's what Paul's saying. It's not because you did something, not because you did good service. It's not because you, of good works so that no man can boast. See, salvation isn't about our works attaining something from God. It's a gift from God. He gives us gifts of faith and repentance. Verse 10 is interesting. We leave out verse 10. But this proves the point today. For reason, one of the reasons that God saved you, for we are his, do you see it? Workmanship. Maybe your Bible says craftsmanship. The word we get is poema, likely poem. You're God's artwork. He's brought you to faith. He's saved you so that you would do what? You're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? What does it say? Good works to serve that He's prepared beforehand. So that you'll do what? Talking about this road, that you'll walk in them, right? That's beautiful. 
God has saved you to walk the road of service to him for your good and his glory. Let me pray.